With over seven and a half billion people in the world, fascinating stories become lost in the timeline of generations. My name is Lily Donnelly, and I have made it my mission to give a voice to the voiceless in the hopes to unite our similarities through investigative journalism. Let's start small. All night long, Sandy marches up the East Coast, practically parallel, more than 200 miles offshore. It will collide with an Arctic front coming in from the West, throwing a new dose of energy into the storm and expanding its already monster size and reach. Impacted by this storm will be enormous. 60 million people, really anyone east of the Mississippi, will be affected. Hundreds of thousands have already been evacuated tonight. Boardwalk is just lined with sandbags. The casinos, they're empty. Now we're in the 9 to 11 foot storm surge zone. We could get a 10 to even 20 foot wave. A hurricane Sandy crashing on shore. Unbelievable. Sandy marches up the east coast, practically parallel more than 200 miles offshore. Winds now at 90 miles per hour, and this storm is so big, so vast, 60 million Americans will feel its power. It is chaos along the Jersey Shore. It practically doesn't matter where this storm makes landfall. It's such a big storm with so many problems. This city is basically underwater. Water from the ocean, water from the bays, it is everywhere. Take a look at this. All the winds have picked up, and this is what happens. Debris like pieces of the boardwalk have come for three blocks. That's the ocean back there. Huge waves crashing up and over. Did you see that one? Pushing ocean water. The storm is on top of us right now. For all of you who grew up loving the thrill of a roller coaster ride or maybe had your first kiss on a Ferris wheel, this one's for you. Amusement parks destroyed in some of the legendary towns along the Jersey Shore. Places with familiar names like Atlantic City, but also Asbury Park and Seaside Heights. Can the happiness on the boardwalk happen again? It will be days, probably weeks, before we know the full extent of the damage of this storm. Here's what we do know right now. The storm is being blamed for at least 22 deaths, including 10 in New York City. Those numbers are expected to climb as rescue and recovery efforts continue into the evening. President Obama will travel to New Jersey tomorrow afternoon to tour areas along the coastline ravaged by the storm. The president will also meet with first responders to thank them for rescuing residents stranded along the Jersey Shore. Trying to get around yesterday, every street flooded, almost everywhere impassable. That these homes are now surrounded by water, that they are surrounded by sand, completely destroyed, in many cases, completely ripped to shreds. Entire homes, entire neighborhoods underwater tonight, and it's going to be a while before that water gets out. And you can see even people who have luxury crafts as well, uh, completely destroyed in all that beach sand. It's going to have to be moved. It's now in people's living rooms and bedrooms. All that structural damage due to those homes, it's going to take a long, long time for those coastal communities to recover.
On October 22, 2012, a tropical depression formed in the southern Caribbean Sea off the coast of Nicaragua. The depression strengthened and became Tropical Storm Sandy. It doubled in speed while crossing Jamaica and evolved into a Category 1 hurricane, killing 50 people as a result. Sandy then went on to cross the East Coast, starting off the coast of Florida. As Sandy traveled north, the storm went inland on a path to New Jersey. When the storm reached Atlantic City, it was no longer considered a hurricane. It was classified as a post-tropical nor'easter. But the storm's unusual path from the southeast makes its storm surge much worse for New Jersey and New York. The storm's huge size means that its winds, rains, and flooding will pound New Jersey and New York throughout the night and through three cycles of high tides and low tides. As a result, coastal areas of those states were practically underwater. The damage Hurricane Sandy caused was unimaginable. The hurricane caused close to $62 billion in damage just in the United States alone. Over 8 million people lost power during the storm, and outages were seen for days in major cities, while outlying areas were without power for weeks. So today's story is very personal to my life, because my family was directly affected by the hurricane. Growing up, I spent a lot of time in Toms River, New Jersey, with my grandparents. Some of my best memories I have growing up were made there, and it was always a very positive place to be. So now that I'm older, I feel that magic washed away with the hurricane. Familiar streets, they become unrecognizable. Small businesses in the area couldn't afford to remain open. The devastation that hurricane caused was extreme. And I don't think anyone actually expected it. At the time, my grandparents were experiencing all sort of misfortunes, starting with my grandfather's worsening dementia and inability to walk. When Sandy was heading for Tom River, my entire family, excluding myself, was in North Carolina for my cousin's wedding. So when the hurricane hit the house, there was no one to rescue my grandparents. The damage left Tom's River practically bare. My grandfather passed away about a month after the hurricane. And that was really hard for everyone. It seemed that the absolute worst had happened, first with the hurricane and then with the passing of my grandfather. And my grandmother, my grandmother spent years rebuilding her home and keeping a smile on her face at every moment of every day. Now that the soil is safe from the toxins caused by the hurricane, she's able to garden again and she is very eager to tell her experience surviving the hurricane. I sat down with her on December 26th to discuss the real impact of Hurricane Sandy. Can you please introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about what you do? I'm Teresa Donnelly. 
I was married 58 years, now I'm a widow. After raising my three children, I fulfilled a lifelong dream to become a nurse and decide to go to college. And I became a psychiatric nurse and I loved helping people at that time. I don't know if I ever told you this, but over the years in job interviews, I've frequently been asked, who is your role model? And always say, my grandmother. The reason for that is I've never come across somebody of your age that is so full of life and just so positive. So whenever I come down to the shore to visit, you're always on the move. So I wanted to ask you, how do you keep so healthy physically and mentally at your age? Uh, I think my faith has a lot to do with it. And I was always interested in health. I think that's why I became a nurse. And when I raised my children, I wanted to be the best mother I could be. So Dr. Spock at that time was very popular. So uh, I changed a lot, but uh, I tried to be the best mother I could. That was my career. And I thought this is the most important job in the world to raise children. So I want to take the conversation back a little bit to 2012. I know as your granddaughter, that was a very hard year for our family. So I wanted to ask, how did that year impact you? Well, uh, it wasn't so much uh, a Sandy uh, 2012. It was the aftermath of that, getting my house back together. And uh, that took quite some time. That, that was the hardest part because I lived through Sandy, although I thought uh, this was it. Maybe I'm going to go with my husband because he was in hospice at the time. And I thought maybe we're both going to go during this storm. I took out my rosary and I said it and I said, well, God, if it is my time, I'm ready. We'll go. I'll go. And, uh, but I lived through that and uh, with the help of my family. And uh, I never thought I was going to be in a storm like that because I've sat through many a hurricanes. We used to have hurricane parties and uh, I didn't believe them and I wasn't prepared for it. So take me back to the day of the hurricane. Where did it all start? And how did it proceed from there? They kept saying that it was going to be a bad hurricane, but the one before that, Irene, they said that one was going to be very bad. And it wasn't. That's why I didn't believe them. And uh, my neighbor behind me said he brought everything upstairs, and I thought, oh, this isn't going to be anything. It's, you know, it's hyperbole. I didn't bring anything upstairs to the second floor, which I wished I had. And when the water came in, I would, I could hardly believe it. I went into uh, my husband and I said, Ken, the water is coming in. I don't know what to do. But he had dementia. And uh, he said, well, I'll think about it. <laughs> and that was the extent of his help. Uh, but he was laying in bed for six months. 
after, well, I had all the uh, uh, candles on the table because I expected the electric to go off. And thank God it did because my husband's nurse said, you know, you could have been electrocuted. That was an electric bed. So uh, thank God the electric did go off. But at that time, I only had a, a cell phone for seniors. But uh, the last thing I did on that uh, day was talk to Shannon. And Shannon said, my granddaughter, my oldest granddaughter, she said, uh, Grandma, what are you going to do when the water comes in? And I said, well, I'll cross that bridge when it, com when it comes to it but I didn't expect it at all, and my phone was dead. I didn't have sense enough to charge it because I wasn't that savvy with a cell phone at that time. So I couldn't get in touch with anybody. However, I did have a security system, and they said, in an emergency, you press this button. So I'm pressing the button. I had my flashlights. I was flashing them out the back and in the front, and of course there was nobody in the neighborhood. Everybody had abandoned the neighborhood except me. <laughs> and uh, nobody came, of course, till the next day. And uh, then my neighbor came because uh, my son was friendly with him, and he came and asked me if I needed some help. But of course, there was nothing anybody could do. There was water all over in the backyard. It was like like the uh, bay was in my backyard. What was it like being in the house filled with water for such a long period of time? Well, uh, I was wet up to, it was uh, up to my knees when I walked through the water, but I would climb over the banister so I wouldn't walk in so much of the water. The water was coming up through the tub and the uh, shower, and uh, it was all over. My, uh, my most concern was about my husband getting wet because I had lowered the bed. Because of his dementia, he thought he could walk, which he couldn't, and uh, I was afraid of him falling. And uh, they had told me that there's a crank under the bed. So before all this happened, I looked for that crank because I figured if the electric goes off, I can crank up the bed. But I couldn't find it. I don't believe it was there. Uh, so I didn't have a crank to crank him up. But that was my main concern, that he would get wet. You know, uh, what could I do? There was nothing I could do to protect him. But uh, the bed, his bed was high enough. He was dry. But I had brought my bed down, put it in the living room, which was right next to his bedroom, because, uh, you know, I checked on him in the middle of the night to see if everything was all right. So uh, my bed got soaking wet because it was just a little cot that I was sleeping on. But I thought to myself, I'll never get warm again. The water was so cold. Just lived through it till the next day. How were you eventually rescued? What was that story? Well, uh, my uh, granddaughter's uh, boyfriend and his brother came and uh, they carried my husband upstairs and put him in a, upstairs in a bed. Uh, I tried to do it. I got him out of the bed before they came 
and I had him in the wheelchair and I thought I could bump him up the, up the stairs, but I wasn't strong enough. So then I had to try to get him back into the bed, which I did. And then soon after, Anthony came with his brother and carried him upstairs. He was only up there a short time when a policeman came and he was banging on the door and he said, ma'am, do you want to get rescued? And I said, yes. He said, well, I'll bring you to a shelter. And I said, you can't bring me to a shelter. My husband can't be laying on a cot on the floor. He's incontinent and he has dementia. Uh, so he said, well, I can bring you to the emergency room in the hospital. So that's what he did. Uh, we were carried out on a flatbed. He took uh, my husband out first uh, on a stretcher in a flatbed and gave him a pillow. And I got into the boat and I went to the emergency room with him. And when I was there, one of the technicians came down. They were drawing blood from him. And I said, uh, and they couldn't get a vein. They were, his was starting to shut down because he, he was on his way out. And I said, you're hurting him. I left a big black and blue mark on his arm. I said, stop, you can't be doing. He said, well, he's in the hospital. I said, we're only here because of this emergency. So he was in a bed in the uh, emergency room and I slept in a chair. I had my pajamas on because I had changed my clothes and put some dry clothes on and, and my coat. So I slept there and uh, the people from the cafeteria were very nice, although the, the nurses weren't that compassionate, I have to say. And uh, I tried to get him upstairs, which was in hospice, but I wasn't happy with them because when they gave me a respite, they said, you can put your husband in uh, the hospital, in the hospice rather, and uh, you'll get a break from him. Uh, when he came back from that hospice, after five days, he was like a zombie. They had filled him full of drugs. And I complained to my nurse who complained to the doctor so the nurses were very upset with me because of that. So uh, they weren't too happy to admit me upstairs. They said they were full. Whether they were telling the truth or not, I don't know. But the nurse said to me, uh, we finally, I spoke to Mary Beth and I said, can I come to your house? Because I have no place to go with, with daddy. And she said, yes, sure. Uh, but she had no electric. My son-in-law managed to get home, which was a miracle because they were flooded in North Carolina too. And he had the fireplace going, so that was a help. And uh, we were in her living room. They brought a, a hospital bed there, which wasn't as nice as the one I had at home because it was an emergency and I imagine uh, they needed a lot of those beds. But anyhow, he was there, and I slept on the couch for a while. And then after a couple of days, Mary Beth came home with, uh, with a generator, so we had heat in the house. But I spent like a month there. 
and Poppy died, uh, my husband died, uh, exactly a month after Sandy, which was November 29th. So, but he was shutting down, he wasn't eating, wasn't drinking, and uh, he was starting to break down on his leg. I could see black, black and blue marks that were, you know, he was, uh, the blood wasn't flowing anymore. He was, he was really on his way out. And uh, that morning that he died, I woke up and the nurse had been telling me to give him this little narcotic uh, in the uh, right in his cheek, under his uh, in his mouth, in front of his cheek, and I did that. Now whether that speeded up his death or what, or whether it relaxed him enough to, uh, you know, uh, die, I don't know. But he he died soon after that, and I called the nurse, uh, the telephone number I was supposed to call. And she came to examine him, and she said, yes, he's dead. And uh, I made arrangements with the funeral parlor, and they came, and they took him away. And then Mary Beth had heard me. Uh, she came down. The two of us were crying. They put him in one of those bags and took him away. And that was the end. So after that, how did the year progress after Poppy passed away? Well, your father came and uh, he uh, helped me with the funeral arrangements, all that. Uh, we had a very nice funeral. Then I had time to come to the house and do things because while he was dying, I had to be with him. I, I couldn't leave him alone. Mary Beth was working as a teacher and uh, Mike and my other son Jim were cleaning up the house. and. Also, Molly and Anthony, uh, my uh, granddaughter and her boyfriend were helping them. Uh, but I wanted to be there. I wanted to go through my things and all. A good friend of mine took in uh, my laundry because everything was wet and uh, she washed them for me. And in fact, she cooked the turkey bones for me we had Thanksgiving at Mary Beth's. And after that, we hired a contractor who I wasn't happy with. He used to do these seminars and he would get all these people. In fact, he sent me a list of people, like 16 people with their telephone numbers and said, you know, that, uh, you know, he was such a great contractor, but he didn't have the staff to take you to uh, do the houses. And they, they were amateurs. They did such terrible work that I fired them. Then we hired uh, uh, an engineer and he did a very good job. And uh, we got competent people. Some of them weren't that competent, but most of them were and they put the house back together. But uh, my son had put the house back together before uh, I hired this contractor because I didn't know I was going to get the grant from the government, which was $150,000 to lift my house. So we just put it back together. So when they lifted the house, they didn't do a step they should have done 
So the house had to be lifted again. So it left a lot of damage on the house. Some of the floors separated, my walls were separated. Uh, and it was because of his incompetence. As my grandmother discussed in that fascinating interview, my immediate family was in North Carolina when this all occurred. My father's sister, Mary Beth Rose, was also in the Outer Banks at the time of Hurricane Sandy. I had the delight of having her discuss her experience returning to the devastation back in 2012. So can you please introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about what you do? Yes, well, I'm your grandmother's daughter, your aunt, Mary Beth Donnelly Rose. 18 months ago, I would say, well, I'm a teacher, blah, blah, blah. But um, I'm not a teacher any, anymore because I retired 18 months ago. So um, after I retired, I got some traveling into Asia and to Europe, and then the pandemic hit. So uh, that put my brakes on. And so since last January, I have been studying the healing arts, uh, Reiki. I was attuned at Reiki level one and two. And I more recently have been studying about um, trauma, childhood trauma and complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, that led me to work with a coach and I, so I've been learning about somatic therapy, polyvagal theory, um, ways to heal from uh, our past. Yeah. So it's really been fascinating. And, you know, because of the pandemic, we have so much time to reflect and study and uh, think about things. Doing a lot of thinking since I retired and then the pandemic. So to jump right into it, can you describe your relationship with your mother, my grandmother? We have, we have a good relationship. Uh, I came up with the word fluid. I would say we have a fluid relationship, like the ocean tides, you know, ebb and flow. We've, I'm 65, so we've had a long life together. And um, I would say that my mother has been my biggest cheerleader all my life that uh, she pushed me or uh, encouraged me to get out of my comfort zone. So I've, I've done some things I would not have thought of doing on my own. Uh, right now, we're kind of in a new season of life. So I've moved next door to her and we chat all the time. We have nicknames for each other. I call her Hi Hyacinth Bouquet because of her gardening. And she refers to me as Daisy Bloom. Uh, we have very different styles. I'm, I'm the, um, you know, invite the bees and the birds and kind of have wildlife. And in fact, I got wildlife certified from my yard. Uh, Grandma is more English garden organized uh, gardening. So it's been interesting how we're opposites of each other. But we have fun chatting about the gardening and sharing recipes and the occasional lunch and trying to be socially distant. So obviously, since you two are so close, you were also greatly impacted by 2012. Yeah, true. Yeah, that, that was a really tough year, 2012. We had a lot of losses, actually, not just Poppy. The, uh, the year kind of started off with um, 
my ex-sister-in-law passing away, my godmother passed away, my godfather passed away, my mom's friend Marge had been hit by a car and died from her injuries. So it, it, that was a tough year uh, right along. And then, um, but there was some joy. My uh, daughter Jessie got married in April in Tom's River. And then, um, as Grandma referred to, uh, the, the second wedding in the Outer Banks for her, uh, so her friends could attend, you know, the big party. And we were really looking forward to that. I had no idea that a hurricane was even coming because I was so busy at school and getting ready for the trip to the Outer Banks. And the night of her um, rededication of vows and the reception was the night Sandy passed by Hatteras. So it was really wickedly wet and windy. I was there, your dad was there, uh, my other brother was there. So the whole family was in the Outer Banks. Uh, except my mom, who was home with Poppy. And um, we got stranded the next day when some of our guests were, were um, heading home. They had to turn around and come back because the road was washed out. So that was a Sunday. Sandy, I think, passed by here on a Sunday night. And um, I, we, nobody left until Wednesday. We got to stay in the rental home, um, and nobody left until Wednesday when an emergency ferry was set up for us to leave because we couldn't leave the island, uh, Hatteras Island. And then I left Thursday morning with Shannon, and it's, it was a 10-hour drive. So we, uh, we were told to try to get a generator because there were no generators in Tom's River anymore um, because of... <laughs> Sandy. So we stopped in Virginia, bought a generator, came home, and um, it was really eerie. There was no power in town, so there were no street lights, there were no house lights. When I got to my neighborhood, there were, some of the roads were blocked with big trees right across the whole road, but we, we found a way. We got to the house, and my parents were already there, and um, they, were, they had candles going, and the fireplace that was it for heat until we got the generator set up the next day. What did it feel like being in Outer Banks? What were, what was going through your mind, especially since Grandma said, you know, she didn't have a phone? I had no idea about the damage until I got a, a wake-up call, um, uh, what, probably Monday morning? Monday, yeah, I guess it was Monday morning or Tuesday morning, uh, from the um, security system that Grandma had. Remember, she kept pressing that button, uh, trying to get help, and nobody came. Well, they called me, and they said, um, you're on the list of people to call for Terry and Ken Donnelly, and they have pressed that button multiple times. And so that was the beginning of, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Now, we had power in the Outer Banks. Even though we couldn't evacuate uh, because of the roads, we did have power. So, um, and, and we had cell phone service. So um, my brother Mike called his friend that lived near Grandma to check on Grandma. And uh, my daughter Molly was calling her boyfriend to ask him to go check on my parents. And um, from that point on, the television was on in, in, the, um, in the rental house. And it was a big rental house, we, and we had about 10 guests. So we had uh, Jesse's two friends who couldn't leave. They both had to go back to their jobs. We had her other friend and husband 
who had left their baby at home with her parents, so they were anxious to get home. We had my husband's friends who had two children, but they were grown, uh, you know, teenagers living at home, who had come down for the wedding. They were anxious to get home. And then we had my husband's other friend who um, also <laughs> was anxious to get home. So all of us, plus my own kids, except for Greg, were in this uh, living room looking at the TV, like all day, making phone calls, um, and hoping that we'd be able to get out of there um, pretty quickly. It was, it was really stressful until we heard from uh, Uncle Jim's friend who said my parents were okay. And then um, I guess we got a call uh, that my parents were at the hospital and then um, that they were going to be transported to our house. So when Uncle Dave got home, they were at some point really close to that time, they were moved into my house. So when I got home, they were already there. What was it like returning back to Tom's River after this mass devastation? Uh, yeah, that was that was the eerie part. Yeah, the thing about getting back home, um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of traffic driving home the 10 hours. It, it was eerie pulling in. It w When we went to Home Depot to get the generator, there were only two generators left. So we got, you know, one of the last generators. And we knew to fill up the car with gas because we heard gas stations were having issues uh, with, I forget why, but either they weren't getting deliveries or there were so many people needing gas for their generators. But um, everything was turned on end. You have these routines that you follow and everybody knows their role and, you know, life goes on. And now everything was new. And you could hear people's generators running the generators are really loud. And um, we actually got uh, our power turned on pretty quickly. It was just a couple days. There's a lot of candle wax on my floors. But um, <laughs> the, um, our power came back on, and we eventually gave our generator to a friend who used it for a couple days until her power came on, and then she passed it on to somebody else. And eventually we got it back, and now it's in the Outer Banks because they get more hurricanes than we do. How do you reflect back on Poppy and his passing and that side of the hurricane? Because obviously we have the devastation of Tom's River and, you know, material aspect of the material things that were lost in the hurricane. But Poppy's a whole nother aspect of it. So what emotions were you experiencing? What was that experience like for you? Yeah, there, there were... There were a lot of emotions because eventually I was back to work. Dad was in the living room. Um, we knew that he, he had been in hospice for six months at that point, and we knew he was close to the end. He wasn't eating very much. Um, you know, they moved in right at the end of October, beginning November. We had Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, uh, by Thanksgiving, he wasn't eating. Uh, I would come home from work and stop in and you know, into the living room and see him. Um, I remember being upset one night because people were cutting down trees. A eight days after Sandy, we had a snowstorm, a nor'easter, and the many of the trees hadn't lost all their leaves, so they were heavy, which contributed to them falling over. And um, one of my neighbors was cutting down trees, almost like going to not not professionally, which was scary. 
And I thought, here's my dad in my living room dying, and it's dark out, and they have their cars with lights shining on these trees with the big buzz saws going. And um, it, it was just surreal. And then the, gover the governor had moved Thanksgiving, uh, not Thanksgiving, Halloween. And we were going to have trick-or-treaters coming to the house. And, I, and I, I wanted to say to everybody, stop. We're going through a crisis in our home. We want, we want quiet. And we want peace, you know, for our dad. So that was very emotional time. A lot of reaction um, with all of us. Strange things went on. Words were said. Feelings were hurt. Lots of tears. Um, my mother and I had, had an argument. The first one, I think, that we ever had. And um, it, it was a very painful time. Be, I think because of the stress of the losing the, the home, you know, essentially for that moment, it, and losing my dad. Uh, my mother was losing her husband, but I was losing my father. She couldn't be a support to me because she was going through her stuff. I couldn't be a supportive to her because I'm going through my stuff. Um, and meanwhile, going to work and putting on a happy face for my students, you know, and doing my job because the rest of the town had moved on. You know, we we hadn't moved on because we were still in a crisis. But um, people who were who didn't live by the water were not affected the same way. And I and I thought this is really surreal. I've got all this crisis going on in my life, but everybody else seems to be just moving ahead and living. You know, so um, yeah, very very painful time. When I would go in to see my dad. Um, I couldn't help feed him because he wasn't eating, and so I would sing to him, and um, and I would read to him. I remember reading Truman Capote's Thanksgiving Visitor, and I, I remember him saying, "Oh, you're a good, you're a good storyteller." <laughs> One of the few things that he said because he wasn't talking very much. I, I think he recognized us. He knew who we were, but he was spending most of his day sleeping. How do you think the years after the hurricane impacted you and impacted the family as a whole? Uh, they Well, they continued to impact us for quite a few years. I, I th Now I, we are, you know, kind of back to normal. But um, for, for years, well, with Grandma... Uncle Jim fixed her house. She got to move back in. Then she got grant money. She had to move out again. Then we had the problems with the uh, contractor who um, was lifting her house. Not the, not the lifter, but the contractor for the whole project. Um, and so she, you know, she, she was moving in and out several times. That was difficult. And um, the way we celebrated holidays... You know, um, it was tradition to have Thanksgiving at my mom's house. So for a year or two, I think two, two years in there, it was at my house. And um, then we got back into grandma's house. I, I think for the most part, the extended family kind of moved on. It was really um, Uncle Jim who was working on grandma's house that was still impacted for her. Uh, your dad who was impacted because he was the legal arm and helped us with the grants and, um, and the contractor issues. And, and for me, living in town right by, I, I didn't live next to grandma at the time, but uh, being in town, 
I was the one who could get here and um, spend some time with her and, and take her places and do things. Even though my mother is extremely independent, um, it, uh, I was, because I lived nearby, I was able to still uh, socialize face-to-face -face with her. It is truly tragic, the impact Sandy had on the communities in coastal New Jersey. There were 159 hurricane-related deaths. About 8.5 million homes lost power. And over 23,000 people had to move to shelters. I am so thankful to be able to share this story because the people that weren't directly impacted by the hurricane really don't know and can't grasp the lasting impacts the hurricane has had. Especially for me, at the time, it became very prevalent because my life suddenly revolved around my family. And although this hurricane tore through New Jersey, I think it made us appreciate our fortunes in life. I would like to thank both my grandmother and aunt for contributing to today's episode. Also, if you are interested in learning more or you would like to donate toward hurricane relief funds, you can do both through UNICEF at unicef.org and the American Red Cross at redcross.org. I hope everyone enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to be featured in an upcoming segment, send me an email to startsmallpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow our social media at Start Small Podcast on Instagram and Twitter for updates on upcoming episodes and an exclusive inside look on each of our guests. See you next week.